I trust you're ready to receive a word from the Lord. So I want to invite you to go ahead and get your Bibles out. Open them up with me to the book of Joshua. Old Testament book, Joshua. Chapter number one. You know, many times in Scripture, the Bible admonishes us to be courageous or to be encouraged. And that's what I want to do today. I want to encourage you. In fact, one of the reasons that we're told to come to church is to encourage one another. The Bible says in Hebrews 10.25, do not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. And so again, if you decided to come to church on Father's Day, thank you because one of the reasons we do it is to encourage one another. I, I was reading a book recently, again, a reread, by Paul Scanlon, and he says this about discouragement. He said, it's been said that discouragement is the leukemia of the soul. As leukemia attacks the life-giving power of blood, so discouragement tries to attack the life of our God-given passions. Perhaps more believers have been taken out by discouragement than anything else. Courage is the greatest among many admirable virtues. Once courage is present, it acts like an anchor for all the rest. Commitment, wisdom, planning, and decision-making all come easier with courage. So today, I, I want to speak to you about courage. And if there was ever a person in the Word of God that needed courage, it's got to be Joshua. Many of you are familiar with him, but let me tell you, if you're not, Joshua was the follower of Moses and became the leader of Israel after Moses had died. Moses had some big shoes to fill. For those of you that are unfamiliar with the story, this is the Moses who was drawn out of the waters when Egypt called for all a genocide of all the Hebrew children to and under. Moses alone was saved. His name means drawn from water. Not only was he drawn from the water, he was drawn from the water by Pharaoh's family. He was raised as a son in Pharaoh's palace. Went on to deliver God's people. He sent the ten plagues on the Egyptians. Parted the Red Sea. Hit the rock and caused water to flow out over and over again. An, in, an incredible amount of scripture is given to the leadership of Moses. Now, now we know that God did all those things, but he did it through Moses. And so when Joshua is ready to step up to lead, you can understand why there might be a little bit of fear and trepidation. These are big shoes to fill. And so when Moses is at the end of his life, God has already spoken to him about, <clears throat> about what's to come. And he says in Deuteronomy 31, and I'm going to go to Joshua 1, but I just want you to see these verses first. It says, then Moses went out and he spoke these words to all of Israel. He said, I am now 120 years old, and I am no longer able to lead you. That's my life verse, so I'm going to be here for a while. No, I'm kidding. That's great. Can you imagine that? 120 years old, and now I'm not able to lead you. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. He said, the Lord has said to me, you shall not cross the Jordan. The Lord your God himself will cross over ahead of you. He will destroy these nations before you, and you will take possession of their land. Joshua also will cross over ahead of you, as the Lord said. And the Lord will do to them 
what he did to Sion and Og, the kings of the Amorites, whom he destroyed along with their land. The Lord will deliver them to you, and you must do to them all that I have commanded you. So Moses is being very clear here. I'm, God told me, I'm not going, but you're going. So then he says in verse 6, these words, be strong and courageous. To all of Israel, he says, do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. And then he does something. Now, he, he's already said this to all the people of Israel. But look at verse 7. It says, then he summoned Joshua, the future leader. And he said to him, in the presence of all Israel, a second time, be strong and courageous. For you must go with these people into the land that the Lord swore to their ancestors to give them. And you must divide it among them as an inheritance. Verse 8. The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. So twice now, Moses says to Joshua and he says to the people, be strong and courageous. Twice he says to them, the Lord is with you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. And then Moses goes on a one-way hiking trip up Mount Nebo. And it says at the end of Deuteronomy in chapter 34 that Moses died and God buried him. And still to this day, no one can find where he's buried. I mean, you think, the God the Fa- you think the Godfather's bad news. I mean, God the Father, he can bury you so deep that nobody will ever find you. And Moses is just gone. And then you get to Joshua chapter 1. And you open up Joshua chapter 1, and here's what verse 2 says. The Lord says, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then. That's got to be the biggest now then in all of literature. I mean, like... All the things that Moses did, all the incredible exploits, God just says, Moses is dead, now then. You and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land that I'm about to give them to the Israelites. And I wonder if God had to emphasize I'm giving this land to the Israelites because by that point, maybe Joseph, or maybe Joshua was convinced that, that it was the Mosesites. I mean, it was so much dependent on this one leader. This is a guy that spoke face-to-face with God as a man speaks to a friend. Everything rode on what Moses did and what Moses said. And so God reminds Joshua right here at the beginning that this is a promise that I gave to the Israelites. In other words, this is God's way of saying, my plan is bigger than Moses. And in doing that, he's also saying, my plan is bigger than you, Joshua. And can I just say today, that's the way it should be. We ought to be committed to a plan that is bigger than us. Can I just remind all of us today that God's vision for your life is bigger than your lifetime. It really is. There's a lot of churches today that, that are dead or dying because they haven't grabbed a hold of that truth. You walk into them and immediately it's like walking into a time warp. Like you walk in and it feels and it smells like 40 years ago. Right? I mean, it's like, what, what happened here? I'll tell you what happened. There was a generation that was in charge that forgot that the vision was about more than their preferences. The vision was about more than their lifetime. And so they just stayed right there. It's kind of like when you, when you hit my age, like, I'm probably done changing my style, right? 
Like, like you get to a certain age where you quit keeping up, and then you just dress that way for, forever. And then people can look. They can, it's the same with music. Like, you listen to the music. You like the music you liked when you were, like, you know, in your 30s or 40s. You just quit changing, and eventually it becomes old school. But it's just your school. And we do that with the church. We resist against change. The future of the church is not about me. The future of the church is not about you. The future of the church is about generations. Tomorrow, I'm, I'm doing a funeral tomorrow for Joan Fry. She was one of the original 28 members that were, I say original, they were original when I got here nine years ago. Joan Fry was one of the members of this church, and she just passed away this past week. And I have the opportunity to, to honor her life and legacy in a service tomorrow. But as I was thinking about that this week, I was reminded of the fact that, that one day it's going to be my turn. I know that sounds a little gloom and doom, but it's just true. You know, the Bible says it is appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. We only get out, you know, one of two ways, either by rapture or the grave. I'm hoping for rapture, but if it doesn't happen, I know where I'm going. And one of these days, people are going to gather around my casket and they're going to lower it into the dirt. And God's going to say, Aaron, my servant, is dead. Now then. You know what's going to happen? After that, everybody's going to come back to the church and eat potato salad. That's what's going to happen. Like, that's it. And then everything that I gave myself to is over. In that moment, it's done. Unless, unless I lived for a vision that outlives me. Unless I gave my life to something that was about generations. And so God wants to remind all of us, and he reminds Joshua in this moment, that there's something I've called you to that is bigger than you. Dads, can I remind you on Father's Day that Satan is not just interested in ruining your weekend or, or giving you a difficult marriage. He wants to hijack and forfeit the blessing to your children's children's children. To the third and fourth generations, he wants to disrupt God's hand and favor in your life. That's his agenda. He plays the long game. So God speaks to Joshua in this moment, and I pray prophetically he speaks to you. And he says in Joshua chapter 1, four times, be strong and courageous. Four times. Now, I, I don't think God would say anything four times like that unless maybe Joshua needed to hear it. Maybe Joshua had a, a tendency to be afraid and discouraged. And so God says, be strong and courageous. And I want to show you those four ways in this text today. And in each time he says be strong and courageous, he gives him another reason to be strong and courageous. Let this build your faith as we look at beginning in verse 6. The first way that God says be strong and courageous is because of God's promises. If you're a note taker, write this down, God's promise. Verse 6 says, be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. So in this moment, God's reminding Joshua again, this is a bigger plan than Moses. It's a bigger plan than Joshua. You're going to lead them, but I swore. Who did he swear it to? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Long before you were here, I swore to your ancestors that I would give them this land. So yes, Joshua, you need to be strong and courageous in your military uh, exploits, but you're not going to inherit the land because of military prowess. You're going to inherit the land because of my mighty promise. 
And God says, you need to know this. You can be strong and courageous because I swore that this is going to happen. And can I just tell you today, you are living in the fulfillment of God's promises to previous generations. I know it's not 4th of July weekend yet, but I just wonder if there's anybody here that's thankful to God that you live in America. Man, that was a weak amen. I'm telling you, I, I thank God. I recognize that I am living today in the fulfillment of God's promises to previous generations. People who prayed hard, who risked life and limb, people who sacrificed, people who explored new territories, people that, that made a way, and we're here, and we're just living in it and loving it, and sometimes we need to be reminded that the God who promised and fulfilled before is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he says, you, you can... You can be strong and courageous because I have promised. 2 Corinthians 1.20 says this. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. Not yes in the preacher. Not yes in your mama. They are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. So what we need to do is come under the promises of God and add our amen to what he's doing. Let it give you courage. The second way that God encourages Joshua to be strong and courageous is in verse 7. And it's through God's precepts. The precepts are the commands of God. His statutes, his commands, his precepts are true. And in verse 7 he says this, be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. So this is an even stronger exhortation. Moses told him twice, be strong and courageous. Now God told him once, be strong and courageous. Now God says, be strong and very courageous. Be very courageous to obey my word. Can I just say, we get this backwards too often. In other words, we are, we are more than willing to be strong and very courageous when it comes to the battles externally with other people, while not being willing to be very courageous when it comes to the internal struggles with obedience to God's Word. We get it wrong. I mean, it's, it's, come on. It's easy to, to light somebody up on the internet, right? It's easy to just call somebody out, to, to blast them with both barrels and the scripture attached to it. All the while, we're losing the battle with obedience in our own hearts. And, and God says the very opposite. He said, yes, you've got to be strong. You've got to be courageous in the external front. But you've got to be very courageous when it comes to obeying the word of God. It, it, come on. Isn't that the harder of the two anyway? Don't be surprised when it's hard for you to obey the word of God because Satan knows that he has no authority over the word of God. I mean, think about it. Jesus, the Bible says, had all power and authority in his hand. He could call down 10,000 legions to rescue him from the cross if he wanted to. And yet when Satan tempted Jesus in the wilderness, the only weapon that he used to defeat the enemy was the word of God. Every time Satan came with a temptation, Jesus responded, it is written. The word of God is powerful. David, King David said this, I've hidden your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. You want to know what's going to make you strong and courageous? Look at verse 8. He, he expounds on it. Verse 8 says this, keep this book of the law always on 
your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you'll be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. So God's saying to Joshua and to us, it's not just enough to to know the law or obey the law. Keep it on your lips. In other words, talk about it. Let it be more than an hour on Sunday. Let it be a part of your conversation in your home, with your family, with your kids, on your job. Like, talk about it. Let the Word of God be on your lips. Let it be on your radio. Let it be in your podcast. Let let it be a part of your conversation. And then he says, don't just let it be on your lips and in your heart, but meditate on it. Now, meditation is is not just some Eastern mysticism idea of, like, sitting cross-legged and staring at your belly button, you know? That's not what he's talking about. He says, meditate on the Word of God, and meditating on the Word means to think about and to contemplate how to apply the Word of God in your life. Meditation has application as its goal. So he's saying it's not enough to just know the Word or to just think about the Word or to even talk about the Word. Meditate on it. When you open the Word, when you read your Bible, let it read you. I mean, how many of you, and, and I'm raising my hand first because I know this is, we've all done this. You've got up, you've done your devotions, you read the Bible, maybe a couple chapters, you close the Bible, and like 10 seconds later, you don't have a clue what you read. Right? Because we're so busy, we're so distracted, and we went to it thinking that the goal was to just get through it, and we forgot the goal is to let it get through you. Man, that is good. That's good. I should write that down. You know, you got a pen? I should be taking notes this morning. Listen. God wants to get the word in your heart. When you open the word, you ought to pray, God, how can I apply this in my life today? God, what are you trying, what are you trying to say to me through this text? Even this morning as, as pastors preaching, God, what is the thing that you want to say? I'm meditating on your word. I'm not just letting it go in one ear and out the other. Come on, now I sound like a dad on Father's Day. <laughs> I know you heard me, but you didn't listen, right? but to meditate on the word, to let it work in you. Then God says you'll be prosperous and you'll be successful. Let me give you the third way that God encourages us to be strong and courageous. He says, yes, number one, God's promise. I've promised long before you came here. I'm faithful to my promise. Secondly, God's precepts. His commands are right and they are true. Heaven and earth will pass away, Jesus said, but my word will never pass away. But number three, God's presence communicates that we can be strong and courageous. Look at verse 9. For the third time, God says, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. So the assurance of God's presence is what makes all the difference. God says, You can be strong and courageous because I'm going to go with you. You're not going to go alone. That was Moses' deal. In Exodus 33, verse 15, he told God, he said, God, if you don't go with me, I don't want to go. Like God was saying, here's the promised land. And Moses said, I I don't even want the promised land if I don't get the promised keeper. Joshua hears this word of encouragement from the Lord. I am with you wherever you go. It's the same encouragement that Jesus gave to his disciples. They were troubled around the Last Supper table because Jesus had told them many times that he was going to be arrested, crucified, that he would die. He told them, I'm leaving and where I'm going, you can't go. 
And so the encouragement that he gave them over and over in John 14, 15, and 16 was, I'm sending my spirit, the Holy Spirit. My spirit is going to be with you. And it's good that I'm going away because I'm limited on where I can be, when I can be there. Because yes, Jesus was fully God, but he was also fully man. Sometimes he needed a nap. And sometimes he needed some alone time. But he says, when my spirit comes, I'll be with you always. And so he speaks to them in that conversation. In John 14, verse 27, Jesus says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. Why? Because I'm giving you something. And then in chapter 16 and verse 33, he says again, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart. Because I've overcome the world. The apostle John later would say it like this. The one who is in you is greater than he that is in the world. The Apostle Paul would say, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. You can be strong. You can be courageous. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Joshua's faith is being built. He's being encouraged because of God's promises, because of his precepts. He's being encouraged because God's presence is with him. But there's a fourth way that God wants to encourage you, and that's through his people. Aren't you glad that God speaks to us through his people? Come on, I've been preaching for like 20 minutes. That's all I get? Like, I hope, I hope that you're glad that God speaks to you through people. Joshua's getting ready now in in chapter 1 to take the Israelites over into the promised land. And when Moses had given them the vision, there was three of the 12 tribes that said, you know what, we actually like, we like the land on this side of the Jordan. Can we just stay here? Can this be our inheritance? And Moses told them, yes, it can, but when we go to cross over, your fighting men need to go with us. You need to help us possess the land, and then you can come back to the east side of the Jordan, and you and your family can stay over here. And so now it's time to go. Joshua reminds those three tribes, you can stay over here. You can leave the women and children, but you guys are going to go, and you're going to help us conquer the land. You're going to cross over with us, and then... Those men speak back to Joshua at the end of chapter 1. And I want you to see what they said in verse 16 through 18. Then they answered Joshua, whatever you have commanded us, we'll do. And wherever you send us, we'll go. Just as we fully obeyed Moses, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. And whoever rebels against your word and does not obey it, whatever you may command them, we, he will be put to death. Now, they were serious. They were all in. But then look at what they say right there at the end of their little speech, their little pledge of allegiance to Joshua's army. They say, only be strong and courageous. And that had to just reverberate off the chambers of his heart by this point. Moses said it twice. God's now said it four times. And now through his people, he's saying, you can do this. Only be bold and courageous. Men of God, I'm telling you, God is calling us today to be bold and courageous. We need to be men of courage. He's telling us through his promises, through his precepts, his presence, and through his people. Now, I want you to look with me for just a moment at the priest in this story. Because the priests represent the leaders. And and although this applies to everyone, obviously, I'm speaking 
from my heart to men today. God has called you to be the priest of your home. God has called you to be spiritual leaders in your family. And that's what the priests represent among the Israelites. So in Joshua chapter 3, they're getting ready to, to cross over. And they get instructions from the Lord on what that's going to look like. The officers went through all the camp. Look at verse 3 with me in Joshua 3. They were giving orders to the people, and here's the orders. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priest carrying it, you're to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go since you've never been this way before. But keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits between you and the Ark. Do not go near it. 2,000 cubits is 3,000 feet. 3,000 feet. Sometimes being a leader means that you got to be 3,000 feet out in front of everybody else. And and sometimes being 3,000 feet out in front of everybody else means being alone. I mean, wouldn't it be easier? And wouldn't it be awesome if God just spoke corporately all the time? Like if collectively, you know, God just told everybody that he was calling Moses and that they were going to lead the people. No. Moses almost didn't even answer the call of God because he said, what if the people don't believe me? What if they don't listen? What if they don't follow? And we've all felt that. If you've led on any level, you've felt that. What if they don't follow me? What if they don't lead? It's what we call the leadership gap. You're out there 3,000 feet in front of the others and you're just wondering, is this going to work? That's the priest's. They're walking by faith. They're, they're stepping out, and they're, doing, they're going first. Our, our U.S. Marines in the military, they pride themselves on going first. They're first in, last out. Like somebody's got to lead. We're, we're going to do it. First one's in, last one's out. And oftentimes when you, when you go first, you go alone. And it can be scary. You're putting yourself out there. That's why, it's why we need courage. Because men, God has called us to go first in many ways. The leaders, they had to actually step into the Jordan. Now, when, when Moses parted the Red Sea, he put his staff out over the water, and God parted the waters, and everybody crossed on dry land. This time, it's different. This time, they're at the Jordan River. And God doesn't say, I'm going to part the waters, and everybody's going to cross on dry land. He says, I want you to tell the priest to take the ark, and I want them to go out, and they want, I want them to step into the Jordan River at flood stage. And sometimes leadership can feel like that. Like we're out front and nothing's happening. Like we're moving by faith and it doesn't look like it's working. And that's the thing about being the leader. By the time the people get there, they don't experience what you experienced. They don't deal with the hardship you dealt with. They don't see what you see. They don't feel what you felt. But come on, isn't that what we want for our families? Like, you, you want to absorb some of the impact. You don't want your kids to go through everything you went through. Like, you, you, wanna, you want them to learn from your mistakes. You don't want them to enroll themselves in the school of hard knocks. You've already passed. You want them to, you want them to learn from you. And, and that's, that's the challenge sometimes of, of the leadership gap, that you're going through things and seeing things that other people aren't feeling. You're carrying a weight that they're not carrying. The ark was on their shoulder. Another thing about being the leader that's often challenging is the fact that sometimes as the leader, you get cold feet. 
You ever got cold feet before? The priest did. Literally, they got cold feet. Because when they stepped in, the water was still flowing. Everybody else crossed on dry land. But they're out front. They're in the water. They got cold feet. Look at verse 8 in Joshua 3. It says, tell the priest who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the Jordan waters, go and stand in the river. See, too often, we don't step out in faith until we're 100% sure. And if you wait till you're 100% sure, you've often missed out on the moment of obedience. And can I, just, can I just say that having cold feet is not necessarily a sign that you missed God. Sometimes having cold feet is just a sign that you're the leader. Because you're crossing while the water's still flowing. You know, when, when I was a kid, my mom led our kids' ministry. And on Father's Day, she always did sock it to dad. Sock it to dad Sunday. And what that meant was uh, all the kids were given a pair of tube socks to give to their dad on Father's Day. <laughs> Nothing says dad life like tube socks in the middle of summer. Right? You're a Jedi master dad if you can do tube socks and flip-flops. Then you know you have fulfilled the attire. But I was thinking about that this week, and I don't have tube socks for you. We do have donuts. But if I could give you a gift spiritually today, if I could impart something to you spiritually, I would give you thicker socks. Because a lot of us, we, we feel the apprehension and the, the second guessing and the cold feet of leading, and we think of that as a disqualifier when actually it's an indicator you're in the front. There's a leadership gap. You're feeling things that nobody else is going to feel, and you don't really want them to feel it. But don't cower from following the Lord. Just get some thicker socks. Just trust that the Lord is using you, that he wants to lead through you. The Bible says while they stood there in the river, 30 miles upstream, God had already cut off the waters in a town called Adam, and, and the water finally flowed past and receded, and all the people crossed on dry ground. And only the priests, only the leaders, had water between their toes. God's calling us to lead. In the movie, We Bought a Zoo, it's a story. I don't know if you've seen it before, but it's a story. It's actually based on a true story of a British writer who actually did that. He bought a zoo. And in the movie, Matt Damon's character has this awesome line that he says to his son. If you've seen the movie, you'll know the line. He says, sometimes all you need is 20 seconds of insane courage. Just literally 20 seconds of just embarrassing bravery. And I promise you, something great will come of it. Now listen, we don't live in Hollywood. And so I can't promise you that something great is always going to be the result of your 20 seconds of courage. But what I do know is true about that statement is that courage comes in moments. It comes in moments. A person is not brave generally. They're brave specifically. It's got to be a moment. So, so hear my heart today because the last thing I want to do is, is bring all of you here on Father's Day weekend and just, just give you nothing less than a, a motivational halftime speech. And if there's no specificity to your response, then that's all this is. But I'm praying the Holy Spirit would, would give you courage specifically, that you would be brave specifically in some 
area of your life that I cannot speak to, but God can. And as we get ready to end this message, I want to just challenge you to open your heart to hear the voice of the Lord. He's calling you to be bold and courageous, but he's calling you to do it now. In some way, in some decision, in some action, in some realm of influence. And I want to pray today that God would give you specific courage. For some of you, and I just sensed in my heart, God wants you to have moral courage. Like maybe you're surrounded by people that are just compromising. Maybe it's in the workplace, maybe it's in your own home. And because everybody, it's just kind of, it's kind of, it's, it is what it is now. Everybody kind of believes that. If I were to take a stand on morality, man, I'd, I'd get cold feet. What if I make a stand and then I can't stand where I stood? What if I tell everybody this is the way it's going to be and then I don't toe the line? What if I start doing it and nobody follows and there's 3,000 feet and it feels like 3,000 miles between me and those that are supposed to be following my leadership? God wants some of you to have moral courage today. Some of you, God, God wants to give you boldness today to speak up in leading your family. To speak up in leading your family. I, I don't know what that looks like for you, but I can't help but see the reflection of our Father. And I'm not talking about God the Father, I'm talking about Adam. When I see the absence of leadership by men in our culture, I go right back in my mind to Genesis chapter 3. And we all like to throw Eve under the bus because we all know it was the woman that ate the fruit first, right? You do all know that, right? Right? We love that. Like, oh, it was the woman. Paul even says that in the New Testament. It was the woman. But what I can't get past is right there in Genesis 3, it says when she saw that the fruit was good for food and pleasant to the eyes and desirable for gaining knowledge, she took it and she ate it and she gave it to her husband who was with her. Oh, that's the part that just stabs me like a knife. See, the first sin was not Eve taking the forbidden fruit. The first sin was Adam's silence, his lack of leadership in the home. God called him to lead, and he just stood there complicit. And he ate also, it says. And then in Genesis 3, 9, it says God shows up in the garden, and he asked this question. The Lord God called to the man, where are you? And I can't help but think that all these thousands of years later, God is still asking that question. Man, where are you? Where are you? So I believe that the Holy Spirit wants to ask that question again. Walk into the garden of your life, into your home, and ask you, man, where are you? He's calling some of us to be bold and courageous in leading our families. Some of us he's calling to be bold and courageous in stepping out in faith and obedience. To really just obey what the Lord is telling you to do. Now, I said earlier I wasn't here last weekend. We were on a family vacation. And last Saturday, I, we drove to Nashville, Tennessee to see my grandmother we got a picture with her. If you have that picture, you can put that up. That's all of us. That's my grandmother. She just turned 95 years old. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. I guess when she's 120, she'll say, I can no longer lead you. That's, but but last, last Sunday we were there, and you know how if you're on social media, you always get those memories that pop up, so they, they tell you exactly what you were doing, like last year or five years ago. Sometimes that's kind of convicting, right? Like, wow, I was like... I was actually doing something. <laughs> like, 
But this was awesome because I didn't realize until we were there last weekend. My wife was looking at her phone while I was driving down Interstate 40. We realized this is the exact same day that we were there with her nine years ago. I was so struck by that. And I just started talking with the family in the car because I realized, wow. I said, girls, this trip down I-40 in Nashville feels so different than the last time we made this trip down I-40 in Nashville nine years ago. And we got a picture from that time too. A lot's changed since then. Some of us have gotten taller. But on that trip, I had just resigned from the church that I served for 10 years. On that trip, we had just sold our house. We packed up two weeks worth of luggage, put all of our stuff in a storage container, and we went on a road trip. We went to Nashville, and we saw my grandmother. And then we were leaving there, and we were driving to Marietta. We were going to stay for two weeks at my mother-in-law's house for vacation. And after that two weeks was over, I had no idea what was next. I mean, literally, we stepped out in faith and said, God, we felt like God wanted us to go. I even told our church in Texas, I said, listen, I don't know if next month you're going to see me on Facebook with a green apron serving cappuccinos. I don't know, but I want you to know this about me. Please remember this. When God spoke, I obeyed. All I can tell you is God's telling us it's his time. And, and with no guarantees, no plans, no offers, we left. We left it all. And we were on I-40 leaving Nashville. And my cell phone rang. It was one of the board members of this church. He said, Pastor Aaron, you, you don't know me, but I'm calling from Wrightsville Assembly of God. We've been listening to your messages on the internet and We've been praying and we're looking for a pastor. We'd like to talk to you about coming to pastor this church. The rest is history. And when I was driving there last weekend, I, I was just struck by how different I felt emotionally last weekend than how I felt nine years ago. Nine years ago, I was stepping out with boldness and courage, but I was feeling afraid and discouraged. There was a lot of fear and trepidation as we walked this thing out. But I couldn't get over this reality. That while I was re recalling all of the things that we felt, I was thinking about the fact that right now, there's a, there's a service that's going on in Wrightsville, Pennsylvania. There's three services that are going on in Wrightsville, Pennsylvania this morning. Think of all the incredible blessing we would have forfeited had we not stepped out in faith and obedience. Think of all that, that God has done because of our willingness to just be bold, be strong, and be courageous. Now, I, I don't say all that to, to pat myself on the back. I say it because I don't know what the next nine years hold, and I don't know what that moment is in your life. And I've got those moments in mind today. I, I got thick socks on this morning because God's asking me to stand in water, and everybody else is just looking at me. But I want to challenge you. To ask the Holy Spirit, because of the precepts in His Word, because of His promises, because, because of His presence that we sense in the room, because of the way He's encouraging you right now through His people, be strong and courageous. Obey the Lord. Obey the Lord. I, I just sense, as I was praying about today, that there are, there are people 
men specifically, that God wants you to be courageous in leading people to Jesus. You know me, I'm all about, like, invite people to church. I mean, if you'll invite them to church, I will give it my dead level best to lead them to Jesus. But Jesus never commissioned the church to bring people to church. So let's not forfeit the great commission for an invitation. And, and I just sense that, that God is challenging some of us today to be courageous in sharing our faith. Last, our, our road trip to Tennessee was a bit of a tracing of my family history. Last Sunday, we worshiped in Fayetteville. That's where I was born, Fayetteville, Tennessee. And while I was there, I drove to a little church that sits up on top of the hill. I want to show you a picture of the church. I, I, had, to, I had to stop and take a picture of this church. Because that's the place where everything changed for my family. My grandfather, Harold McNatt, and his brother, Kenneth McNatt, they grew up in that town. In fact, I saw Lincoln Theater where they used to go on the weekend and watch movies for a dime. But a Pentecostal revival broke out in that town. And that church was established as a result of that revival. And there was a guy that was friends with them that lived in that town. His name was Booker Moore. And Booker Moore invited Kenneth to come. Now, Kenneth and Harold, I think they were raised Methodist. They were like, you, those Pentecostals are crazy. <laughs> I'm not going over there. But Booker was persistent. And he, he just kept, you got to come, you got to come. So finally, Kenneth conceded, okay, I, I'll go. Harold, you're going with me. So Harold and Kenneth, they go to this revival. And that night, God got a hold of their life. Jesus baptized both of them in the Holy Spirit. And both of them answered the call to full-time ministry. Kenneth had a full-ride scholarship to play Division I football. And he walked away from that to go to Southeastern Assembly of God University. Became a minister of the gospel. Had a son who grew up to also become a minister of the gospel, who pastors the church that I worshiped in last Sunday. And now his son just graduated from college, and he's in full-time ministry serving the Lord. Harold went to Southwestern Assembly of God University. And for many, many years, he served the Lord in full-time ministry. He had a son who also serves the Lord in full-time ministry. And he had three sons, one of whom is your pastor. When I think about that story, I thank God for Booker. I thank God for this young man who was so insistent that his friends come and experience what he experienced in the presence of God. One young man's courage changed my whole family. And I just can't help but wonder. What God will accomplish on the other side of our obedience. Would you stand with me all over this room? Father, I believe you're calling us today. I believe you're calling men of God, young and old, to be bold and courageous. 
you've assured us with your promise. You've assured us with your word. You've assured us with your presence that we sense even now in this room. God, you have assured us through your people, namely me in this moment, God. Use my words to underscore yours that that we would not be unwilling to step out in obedience, even if it means going the first 3,000 feet alone. God, that we would be willing to step in to the waters, to do the things you're asking us to do before we see any results, before we see anything. God, give us thick socks in the spirit today and a willingness to lead with cold feet. God, I thank you today for the promise in your word. It says, for God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and of love and of self-discipline. God, that's what we need. We need the spirit that you give, a spirit of love, a spirit of power, a spirit of self-discipline. God, would you do that right now? Would you do a work in our hearts and in our lives? God, if, if there's anyone here today that doesn't know you, I pray that this moment they would be so bold, so courageous, to surrender their life to you, to trust you completely with their future, the way, the way that Kenneth and Harold did. To just say, God, I give it all to you. Here's my life, Lord. Here's my life. God, we thank you for your word today. Speak specifically to us that we would be brave. Today, now, in Jesus' name, and all God's people said amen. If you're thankful that God still speaks to us, would you give him praise? Come on. Let's bless the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.